We're going to be looking at sin and salvation. And so, I actually, on yours it says, and I didn't put it on mine, sin, it causes our separation from God, but Jesus is our ticket to heaven. So we want to look at sin and salvation and how it applies to us, to the world, and all those who might need to know what it looks like. So we've looked now at who God is. The first three classes we looked at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at the Bible as God's inerrant, infallible word. We looked at how important it was that we have God's word in our life as a believer. And so having established those things, and I believe I I established that God is who he said he was. The Bible is what he had to say. So since we've established that, now it's time to look into the Bible and see what it has to say to us. And we will start with the sin and salvation issue. And this Tozer quote that's up here is basically we've built this on, uh, the whole idea of what we're doing here on Thursday nights. And it is so that we can build one truth on top of another truth. So we started with God, then we went to His Word, now we're going to sin and salvation. Next week, I believe it's going to be the the walk of the believer. What's next? Practical Christian living. Um, So we're trying to build these truths on top of each other. If you didn't catch the first classes, they're either on record there, I mean on CD back there, I believe they're online, or you can wait and after 13 weeks we go right back through the classes. So if you came in now, you can just hang out and we'll go back through who God is and all that, except the next time we go through, I won't be the one teaching the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So um, we're going to use other people to teach throughout as we go. It won't always be me. Just the first time through, it's going to be me so we get a feel for what's happening. You're actually, hopefully one of these times we're going to end up with Luke will teach some of these classes, but... uh, We've got to work all the logistics out on that. So now we're going to take a look at sin and salvation. So the first thing we want to look at is in Genesis chapter 2, where we see the first command that God gives to mankind, or to man, actually singular, in verses 16 and 17. After God had created and formed Adam, he told him, In verse 16 of chapter 2, Genesis, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gives one command to Adam. There's two trees. He says, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We know that God then proceeded to create the woman out of the rib of the man. The serpent, which was in the garden, deceived the woman. She took the fruit, ate of it, and then gave to her husband, and he ate of it. Um, we don't know. I know everybody likes to, and I always like to bring this up, because we don't, we don't know what Adam told Eve about that fruit. Yeah, he only commanded the man. It says the man. So, yeah, as as a leader of a home, the husband is the one that is to lead the home. So whatever he told Eve, we don't know. You know, because when you read it, um, when you read the, the other part, it says that you don't, when she told the serpent, when he said, go ahead and eat it, she said, God said not to eat of it nor touch it. So it was, they go, oh, she added to God's word. Well, we don't know that she added to God's word because we don't know what Adam told her. Adam may have told her that. You know what? I know this woman and she's going to eat of that. So I'm going to tell her she can't even touch this stuff. We don't know. We have no idea. Adam was given the command according to what it says right here in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And we know eventually Eve took it and then Adam willfully disobeyed what he was told by God and he ate of the fruit. And that was what brought the sin into the world. And unfortunately, once that sin was brought into the world, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, therefore, he is just reading about Jesus and stuff, but anyways, we're just going to focus on verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So, because of what Adam did, There's a nature that's been passed on to mankind. And it's a nature of sin. It's in all of us. According to Paul here in Romans, he says, all have sinned. And we're going to go through and we're going to look at this. 
We're going to go back on some things, like we're going to take a look at the, at the tree in the garden later. Um, but just for now, we're just going to lay out kind of what sin has done. So we see that one man was given a command, he disobeyed. His sin affected the whole world. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not going to focus on that. The wages of sin. Um, in Paul speaking there in, in Romans 6, notice he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. So wages is something earned. We go to work, we want a paycheck. That's our wages. He says, you sin, you earned this. You earned death. But God says, I've got a gift for you if you choose it. And that's what we're going to take. That's what basically what we're looking at is there's that gift. Um, so the wages of sin is death. So we've already established this is God's word. We established that the last two weeks. So what this has to say is the truth. And this isn't like the, the flowery feel good when you leave. Well, hopefully at the end you will feel good. But as you're going through, this isn't the kind of message people want to hear today. In fact, the emergent church movement that's happening in many churches today and many Calvary chapels today, uh, this is something they say, you don't need to teach this stuff. In fact, I heard it very recently um, on the mountain here um, where they say, you don't need to tell people they're sinners because they already know they're sinners. Um, so we're, we're going to look at that and we'll see if that's actually what we're supposed to do or not do. Um, for me personally, I need people to keep telling me I'm a sinner because sometimes I'm thinking I'm a little better than I really am. And I need to be reminded, I'm not really that good. So uh, it's throughout the scripture, and I think it's there for a reason, so that we all remember that this is the kind of people we are, and we are sinners. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know God gave the command, man disobeyed. That one man's sin affected the whole world. The wages of that sin is death. And we know that we've all sinned. So we all deserve those wages. We all deserve the death. Now the death um, is not physical death. The death is spiritual death. Uh, when Adam sinned, it was physical death. At that point, God had created um, man to be eternal. That was death. From God, right, right. That's our that's our spiritual death. Now, Adam, he brought death physical into the world. Also, that's why if you read that whole story in Genesis, actually, Luke covered it, man, a year ago when he was teaching through Genesis. Um, but the the death that he brought in, there was the two trees: the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. If Adam, that's why God had to kick him out of the garden because if he had taken of the tree of life after eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He would have lived eternally in evil with that heart. So that's why God had to throw him out of the garden. And then he said he put an angel to protect that tree so that he couldn't go back and take of that tree. We're going to get into that tree later. Um, but that's what God had to do because we were actually designed. And we will live eternally. But we were not original. God's original design was not that man should physically die. That he would physically live forever. And we would have had that garden and... I mean, it's all, we, we have no idea what it would have really been like. Obviously, we're only on this side of it, so it probably would have been a pretty amazing thing. Uh, none of it was a surprise to God. He knew everything. We covered all that, God's omniscience, his all, all knowledge that he had. So, okay, so we have the sin, all have sin. So, the word sin. In the Hebrew, there's three different words that you can use. Chata, or chata, or, or chatath. Basically, the word in the Hebrew is sin, or it means transgression or iniquity. Okay, which transgression just means that you've broken some law. That's what it means. Okay, in the Greek, the word is harmatia, hamartia, whatever, however you say it. And it means to miss the mark. It's an archery term, and it can be used to express willful rebellion, as well as making a mistake and falling short. So the idea is an archer... If you've ever watched the Olympics, it's one of my favorite summer things that in the Summer Olympics is the archery. That in the track and field, not the track so much as the field events, which they never show. You always watch the marathon. You know, it takes a guy four hours to run. You're just like, really? I want to watch a guy throw the hammer and the javelin and all that. 
But the archery, it's that target that's downrange that the guy, he pulls back his bow and he's shooting for the bullseye. He doesn't always hit it. But that's his goal, is the bullseye. When he misses, he sins. That's, that's the Greek word, to miss the mark. The mark is the bullseye, and he missed. Okay, that's where this word comes from. So, for us, as Christians, it's the same thing. Uh, we sin, and we'll, we'll get more into what God requires of us, but our goal should be the bullseye. We're going to miss it. That's our sin. We're going to miss the bullseye, but we can't stop shooting the bullseye. That's what the church has done today. Today, we don't have a bullseye anymore. Just whatever you want to shoot at, it's, it's all good. It doesn't matter. You got an arrow, you got a bow, just shoot. And we'll call you a Christian for it. And that's kind of what the church has become. There's no more aiming for the direct target that God has set. And we'll get into what that target is later in this study. Uh, I just wanted to lay out that term so that we understand what it is. We can see in Genesis 39, verse 9, when... Uh, if you guys are familiar with this story, Joseph, uh, if you're not familiar, you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, because uh, we happen to be going through this with, with Tanner. It's, it's so funny how this, God's time, Mike, this study Thursday nights, Tanner's Wednesday and Sunday, and Mike Vasquez and his Tuesday nights. It's just like, it's all, it's crazy. Mike's quoting, saying the same scriptures I'm using, and I'm using them, and Tanner's using them, I'm just like, this is just, it's crazy how God's doing it, but. So what he does, he's got a message for all of us, and mostly probably for me, and probably me, I'll just say me, I don't know, hopefully the other guys too, but as Joseph is a slave in Egypt, and he was thrown into prison, he's first sold into slavery, then he's sold to Potiphar, and as he's working in Potiphar's house, he has charge of everything in Potiphar's house. He's got a wife, Mrs. Potiphar, and she's a flirt, and she's trying to seduce him. She's trying to get him to sleep with her. And that's, we're not talking about just eyes closed, cutting Z's, all right? Um, but Joseph is refusing and continues to refuse to sleep with this woman. And the reason he did this in 39.9 says, There is no one greater in this house, speaking of himself, than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, speaking of his wife. He says, Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Okay, so Joseph is talking about that transgression. Now, the law hasn't even been given yet. But God has written a law in the hearts of men. And we kind of went through this. Is that we, when we are going through God, within our hearts, we know, even as children, right and wrong. The people of the world teach children different than what we truly know. A uh, great example right now is this whole transgender. And, you know, Steve and I were down the hill yesterday, went to Del Taco, and they had a, a triangle on one door, and it had a lady, and it said women, and then there was a triangle on the other door, and it was just white. Neutral. Nothing. Whoever you think you are, come on in. Uh, big debate right now with that transgender thing. See, it's natural for a boy to know he's a boy and a girl to know she's a girl. You have to be taught. So when they tell you about their six-year-old who wants to be a boy, it's, my, my, net, my, my grandson is four years old, uh, Jacob. And it was funny, the other day he wanted Whitney to take him to the bathroom and she tried to take him to the girl's bathroom. He said, no, I can't go in there. I need to go into this bathroom. So Whitney goes, okay, well, you got to get Grandpa. So I go in there and right away he's like, Grandpa, you can come in, but you can't look. <laughs> My, my, I know Becca didn't tell me. Now, if Grandpa brings you in the bathroom, make sure you tell him, don't look. He just knows it's natural for him. He has to be taught to lose that that um, shame that there would be there for somebody to see him without clothes on. He does the same thing to his dad. I told Michael about that, and he said he does the same thing. So naturally within us, God has laws and um, morality. It's built within our hearts. Actually, Paul talks about it in, in Romans chapter 1. But here Potiphar, he under, I mean Potiphar, Joseph understands with Mrs. Potiphar that if he was to sleep with her, his sin was not against her or against Potiphar. It was against God. That's the sin. He, he knows that there's a, a, that target that he's to be hitting. 
And we know Joseph does a really good job of nailing that target many, many, many times. Um, another place we can see this same sin thing is in James. That's good. 1, 14 and 15. He tells us in, in James, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. So sin can come forth in our lives because of desire. And isn't that what happened in the garden? Because what did the serpent tell me? This tree right here, God doesn't want you to touch it because he knows that the tree, the fruit on this tree is desirable to make one wise. You will know the difference between good and evil. There was a desire there. It, it all goes back to First John talks about it. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all that's in, that's all the world offers. They package it differently, but it'll always fall in one of those three categories. It's going to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And it's going to bring us down. If we allow desire, because James says right here, it is desire that once desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So, here we've got sin, so what do we do? The bottom line, sin is rebelling against God's word, whether it is spoken or written. Rebelling against God's word. Because we saw it with Joseph, the, the law wasn't written yet, but Joseph knew, if I do this thing, I'm sinning against God. He knew it without the law even being written. John 8.34, like I said, we, we go through a lot of stuff here. It's going to be really hard for me tonight because I don't even have a clock to look at. So I don't even know how long. We may be here till 10. I don't, no, no, I'm just kidding. We'll be done in time. John 8.34, Jesus speaking. He's speaking about Abiding in Him, in His Word, becoming a disciple. We actually looked at this last week. But we didn't look at verse 34 where Jesus says that speaking to uh, the people as uh, Tanner was speaking on Sunday morning, he was talking about how they were using Abraham as a dis descendants of Abraham made them something special. Was that Sunday morning or was that Tuesday night at Mike's? I don't remember. Yeah. Wait, when did you? When, when it... Uh, the, oh, it was at Mike's. It was on a Tuesday night at Mike's house talking about the circumcision and how the, the Jews were using Abraham's lineage. They were tied to Abraham and that made them something more than what the rest of the people were. That was the Pharisees and stuff. And so these people are saying, hey, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been in bondage to anybody, which if they looked at their history, that was a total lie because they're in bondage in uh, Babylon for 70 years. But that's beside the point, I guess. Anyways, 834, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So we, we have to upfront admit we're slaves to sin. All of us. Sin is in our bodies. Now we don't have to be slaves to sin. Unfortunately, as fallen men, we are slaves to sin. We are just a, a slave. And not, not that we always give in every time sin approaches or, or, or there's an opportunity, boom, we're down. Uh, but there's still, there's always sin coming up in our lives. There's something, Satan is really good at getting that sin. And, and it, it's, um, it could be the smallest things. Pride is, like Tanner was talking about last, last night, Wednesday night. Pride. That's one of the biggest things, especially for guys, that we fall into sin. Because we start thinking we're something that we're not. And it, it's sad because, man, we fight it and we fight it and we fight it and here it is again and here it is again. We just keep battling this thing. It's like we're a slave to it. But Jesus doesn't want us there. And we're going we're gonna to get into what he's done to free us from that. But that's where we are. And that's where the, the world, without Jesus Christ, that's where they are. Uh, Romans, again, we're, we hit a lot of Romans in this study. They're just Paul is really good about nailing this whole thing. Romans seven ten through twelve. Paul speaking, he's talking about the difference between the sin uh, and the law. In verse ten of chapter seven, he says, "And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, 
taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So there was a commandment given. God gave commandment. It was to bring life. The world wants to tell us, as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that the things that God says we can't do, He's just basically a cosmic killjoy. He just doesn't want us to have fun. That's the whole reason for God saying the things He says. It's why you don't do drugs and you don't go out and get drunk and you don't have sex all over the place because God's just a cosmic killjoy. But Paul says here in Romans 7, the commandment was to give life because if you don't sleep around with everybody you run into, there are no sexually transmitted diseases taking place in your life. It's great. I've been married for almost 32 years now. One woman, and she's the only woman that I've been with for 32 years. And neither one of us has ever had any kind of a sexually transmitted disease. And those, those can be bad. I mean, AIDS and all that stuff, that's bad. Um, I was just talking to a lady today. She was my neighbor, and she was talking about her stepson, I guess it would be, who was a drinker, loved drinking, and he was having some serious problems with his drinking. He had cirrhosis of the liver. She was just getting him ready to check him into a, a hospital where they could take care of him. He was walking out of a Walmart across a parking lot, and he just dropped dead. Done. Because of his drinking. Now, oh, God just didn't want him to have fun. No, well, God would have wanted him to stay alive. But see, he chose to disobey, live a life of alcoholism, and it killed him. So when the world tells us that God's just this cosmic killjoy trying to keep us from having fun, he says, Paul says in Romans 7, no, the commandment was to give life. God's trying to protect us, not to destroy us. Because inside of marriage, um, you know, I mean, I know Laura's, she knows all about this stuff, so she's the young one here. But uh, we're not going to get graphic with any. But, but God is the one that created the idea of sex. He made the man and the woman. And he made them different. He made them the way he made them. So that it could be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. That's it. It's not for whoever you can find, and, and that's what the world tells you. It's like, you know, just enjoy it, man. That's why, you know, it's natural. Well, no, it's not natural. It's natural for one man and one woman. That's the way God created them. That's it. That's marriage. Anything other than that, they can call it union or whatever they want to call it, but it's not marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman. And it is supposed to be for life. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, things happen. This thing right here that we're talking about, this sin thing happens and it, it destroys. Um, I just, I, I, I love being able to tell people almost 32 years now I've been married to the same woman. It's crazy. We were 21 when we got married. And now we're old. <laughs> but it's awesome. Because like, you know, that was my commitment. When I got married, I, my wife was going to be, it was going to be for life. And I told her that, my, I wrote my own vows to her and I told her, their divorce is not an option. I'm here until one of us dies. You know, I didn't know how long that would be. I was hoping it wasn't her killing me, but and it hasn't. Been. So, You're still here. yeah, I'm still here. Success. So the the commandment isn't again for death; it's to bring life. The world has it totally backwards. They don't see it properly. When when I got saved, and I can remember a, there was a song on the radio that used to play. I didn't listen to it, but I remember this one guy at a bachelor party I was at one time. Um, he hadn't seen me for a while, and he saw me at the bachelor party. And I got invited to the bachelor party. It was uh, my kid guy I grew up with. We basically called each other cousins. My dad and his dad were best friends in high school. And my dad was dead. But uh, we were at this bachelor party. I got invited to it, and I said, you guys don't want me at your bachelor party. And they're like, no, we want you to be here. I'm like, no, you don't want me there. Because I'm a Christian. I know they're not. Probably nobody else there would be. I go, look, if you really want me at the bachelor party, you can go out and buy high C punch for me for the party like three days later the guy came up and he goes I got fruit punch and I got orange I said okay you want me there I'll, I'll show up I stayed there for just a little while but this one guy that I've gone to school with since junior high I remember him seeing me there he goes he sees me drinking punch while everybody's drinking the keg and we're just everybody's eating and barbecuing and whatever was going on like none of the other bad stuff that was going to take place had happened yet so um, he just walks up he goes dude you don't smoke you don't drink what do you do <laughs> There was a song on the radio that used to have those lines in it. 
like I, I, I'm actually living life. Yeah. He was just looking at me. That was probably right about the time I knew things were they, the barbecue was starting to die off, and they were starting to talk about watching movies and stuff. I'm like, hey, you guys have a good time. I'm out of here, and I left and went home. Um, but see, that's what the world thinks: is you guys don't do any anything for fun. It's, it's not true. Isaiah fifty nine two. Let me get back to this. That was a little sidetrack there. He says, your iniquities, but your iniquities... Well, let's start with verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So when we sin, God cannot look upon our sin. And so it says that our sins separate. We always used to use the analogy of a phone line... Because back when I was growing up, they actually had a line that came from the telephone pole and went to the house and to a telephone. We didn't carry our telephones in our pockets. So, um, I'm going to pull that out because I'm going to make sure I keep an eye on the time. Uh, so, we didn't used to do that. So, we used to say that when you sin, basically you've cut off that communication with God. It's like cutting the phone line. You're on the other end. Hello, hello, hello. But nothing's happening. You're not hearing. Do you think that God still hears your prayers even though that, that line is cut? Does he, he, he hear your prayers? He created everything. And he's it it depends everything. on what your prayer is. Yeah, like, I, I believe that um, like before you're saved, before you become a Christian, I don't think God hears anything you have to say. According to this, your sins separate you between... So yeah. that, that prayer, the first prayer I think God is going to hear from you, is that one that you say, God, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. Because I used to pray all the time, right? Driving down the road and all of a sudden the, the red and blue lights behind me. Oh, God, please help me get out of this one. Yeah. Right? He's not listening to me because he knows. All he wants to do is not get a ticket or not go to jail. <laughs> and then I get, oh, God, if you get me out of this one, boy, I'll be at church or I'll whatever. Make up some lie that I, you know, because God's not smart enough to know that I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> I don't believe God heard any of my prayers until sometime in October of 1983 when I said, I, I need my life to change. My life is so bad, I just, something's got to change here. I think God heard at that point. And I think from that point on, He does hear my prayers. And when I mess up, that's why we're supposed to, and we'll see that, we're supposed to run back to Him. Oh God, I just blew it. I was, I stopped shooting at the target. I started just shooting my arrows and I, I messed up. I need to, can you get me back on track? He's hearing those prayers. But if, if I want to live and continue to live a life of sin, it says it's going to separate. So it doesn't matter that I went forward at one time and made a profession of faith. That, that doesn't matter to God. He wants a continual relationship. And He knows I'm going to blow it. He knows I'm going to fall. He knows I'm going to stumble. He knows all that stuff. But it's, it's my, uh, my duty to get back up and run back to the cross. And if I do that, he's constantly hearing. So it, it just depends on my attitude and what I'm doing with my life. If I want to continue to live in sin, uh, like I, I told the guy, I remember after I got saved, this one guy was telling me that I, I couldn't have been saved because my hair was still down to here. <laughs> and I was wearing, at the time he was talking to me, I was wearing a Rush t-shirt, which you get a band Rush, and it has a pentagram on it. It was a moving pictures one where the guy's he's like this and there's a pentagram. So they say, well, he's saying, no, I don't want the pentagram. I, I don't know what Rush is about. There's a bunch of different things that that's supposed to be an acronym for. Um, but the guy said, I couldn't be a Christian. This is like a month or two after I got saved. I go, you know, I can't be a Christian. Because look at your hair. What's wrong with my hair? You know, oh, well, you know, a man should have short hair. It says in the scripture, Paul says, you know, it's a, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. I go, what's long? That's kind of a relevant term. He goes, well, what's your natural hair like? And that was, that was his determination on whether or not I was a Christian because whether or not my hair hit the natural hairline. I just looked at him and go, well, you claim to be a Christian and you shave the hair off your face. He said, it grows naturally and you shave it off. Just crazy things God used to give me for those people because I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church. I knew nothing about the Bible other than what the little bit that I had heard at that point. I told him, because the other thing we were talking about, I said, look, I, because I, he was a, a Calvinistic believer, and I, I knew enough about that, I don't know how, but I told him, you know, I know you believe, 
that if I was truly saved, I could never go away from God again. I said, but I don't believe I could, I could come to Jesus Christ, make a profession of faith, go away from my drugs, and then go back to the same life I lived in and end up saved. I said, I, I don't believe that would happen. Because if it was going to send me to hell before, it will send me to hell again. And I don't want to get into the whole Calvinistic. We, we may cover it some other, but not tonight we're not going to get into all that stuff. It's a, it's a pretty heavy thing. I thought about it, and God didn't lead me that way, so I'm not going to. But uh, we need to make sure we don't take advantage. One of the things Jesus is always talking about is abiding in Him, in His Word. So as long as we do that, we don't have to worry about the rest of that stuff. We know we're good. We abide in His Word. We continue to come to Him when we sin. When we fall, we get up and we start walking again. He's, he's not shocked by anything we do. He's not surprised by anything we do. So we might as well just get up and go, God, you know what, I messed up. Can you forgive me? And, and move forward and grow up. And we're going to get into some of the, the other parts of that. But right here, I don't have the notes that I have for you guys in front of me, so I don't know exactly what's on yours. I have a lot more than you guys do. But uh, since we are slaves of sin and we're deceived by sin then how do we get away from this? How do we stop living this lifestyle? Right? That's the question. Well, wait, we're slaves to sin. We're deceived by sin. Then what do we do? Is there any hope for us? Is there any way out of this? And that's, the, that's what we, we, we want to answer. But first we wanted to get to establishing what sin was and what it does to our lives. So is there hope? Yeah, there is. There's a word in the Greek... Metanoio, it's translated repent. And it means to think differently, to care afterwards, or basically to turn around and do 180 degrees. So you're going one way and you turn and you go the opposite direction. And this is one that is not popular in the church either. Repentance. I got saved at Calvary Chapel in West Covinas, Okay, This guy who speaks Spanglish, not even English, his name is Raul Reeves. And I used to hear this stuff all the time. And I was like, man, this is... And, and I know. And I started with a... They had a new believers class that I went to. And I learned this stuff because I knew nothing. I mean, literally nothing. I was the first Christian in my family. And to hear this stuff, I'm thinking, oh, man, I've got to completely change my life. And I can remember sitting in there talking with this guy, Tony Ortiz, who taught the class at the time. So where in the Bible does it say I can't smoke weed? Right? Because I want the words to be there. Thou shalt not smoke marijuana or, you know. Well, it doesn't say that. Galatians, it does talk about pharmakia or uh, it's called witchcraft in, in um, Galatians. It's witchcraft, which is the word pharmakia, which is drug use. Um, it's because drugs are always tied to mostly hallucinogenics to Satanism and witchcraft. It's, it's very, that's why you, the witch always has her cauldron going, you know, that's what that is. That's a hallucinogen. It's supposed to get you closer to the demons because you open up your mind. If you've ever done that stuff, and I know we've got a group back here that was like me, and that's what we did. And it does open your mind to crazy stuff. But the repentance, oh no, you don't need to teach that. People know they're sinners. They don't need to, they don't need to hear this message. Well, I, I wanted to put down a few places here, and a couple people that are, I think, pretty prominent people who had the, that message exactly about the repentance. One of them happened to be some guy. His name was Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time, so Jesus baptized, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, tested for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil himself. Okay, Nobody in here, I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, but nobody in here is good enough to have Satan tempt them. Okay, Me, I probably got one of his weakest little demons because it doesn't take much. Um, Jesus, it had to be Satan himself. He was face to face with the devil in the temptation. After it was all done, Jesus came back out, started his Galilean ministry. In verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His first message, repent. Turn, change. Stop doing what you're doing. You need to go another direction. Okay? So that was Peter. In Matthew... Jesus. I'm sorry, that was Jesus. I was, thank you. See, that's what we got. I say, if I mess up, speak. We have in Matthew 3, verse 2, John the Baptizer, or we know as, as John the Baptist is what we say, but that really wasn't his last name. 
It's John the baptizer. It says, He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. His first message, repent. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. A guy named Peter. Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We won't get into that. That's on one of the other studies. We have in Acts 17, verse 30. Paul the Apostle speaking. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So, this message that isn't popular in the church today, and it doesn't really need to be taught, we have Jesus, John the Baptizer, Peter, and Paul, and all the others had the same message. I don't give, there's, there's more scripture than what I give, what you got, more than what I'll say. And hopefully this is so that you guys will go, you know what, I'm going to go find some of this stuff. And I'm going to find some other stuff. And if you do and you want to come talk to me about it, that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear it. So we have the repentance being preached um, by Jesus, John, Peter, Paul, Romans 6, 6 through 14. Because the question was, is there hope? There's hope in repentance. That's where the hope lies. We have to change the life we were living. And this, you know, because I know a lot of these people in here grew up as Christians. You know, I know we got three here. Three there, well, I'll say two here. One, she was kind of there, but not really. Three over here, my son back there. Grew up in the church. But it's, this is relevant to them too. I'm talking about you. Is it Laura? Is that who we're yeah, talking about? Oh, man, Laura. Bad girl. So, the hope. What is the hope? Romans 6, 6. He says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Whoa, wait. Wait, we're slaves of sin. That was a question, right? Since we are slaves of sin and deceived by the sin, how do we get away? Paul in Romans 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus, with him. That the body of sin might be done away. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. So, Jesus was crucified. If our old man is crucified with Jesus, he said that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So, is Paul just saying this? Or is this a possibility? Is, can we really not be slaves to sin? Verse 7, absolutely. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Here's the part that we have to understand right here. Likewise, you also, okay, so he tells us what Jesus did. Now he says, now in the same way, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So wait a minute. Really? That's all it is? Reckon? And what does this term really mean? The, the term is actually an accounting term. When you run your own business, you do uh, accounting uh, with the books, like, with me. I did a job for somebody four weeks ago. Okay? In my mind, I, I, I invoiced the people. It was a house that was being sold. My money went into an escrow account. I have to wait to escrow for escrow to close before I get my money. But I have the money. So I reckon that money to be mine. I don't see it yet. It's not in my bank, bank account, but it's my money. It's sitting right over there. And I go, hey, that's my money. That's for me. That's the idea. It's, the money isn't in my hand, but I know it's mine. So what Paul's saying here is you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. See, I feel alive to sin. Right? Don't we all? We feel alive to it. 
But the Bible never just tells us, and this is, the, this is the big problem I have with psychology, because it's all about feeling. Psychology, well, how do you feel? Right? We're not supposed to feel. I mean, I don't mean we don't feel. Really? You know? Yeah. <laughs> not that we don't feel. We're not supposed to use our feelings to determine our reality. He doesn't say if you feel alive to sin, you are. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. He's going to tell us later why, but he says, reckon it. Just, it's so. God said, I'm dead to sin. Okay then, right? Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Okay, I'm a liar. God is true. He says, I'm dead to sin. Well then, I'm dead to sin. I feel alive to it. I do. But God says, I'm not. So I have to reckon it so. I have to believe what God said and not what I feel. That's what Paul's getting at here. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus, in Christ our Lord. And he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Notice how he puts it back on it. Don't let it reign. He says, you reckon yourself dead and don't let it reign. It's up to me. I make a choice. So if I die, like he was talking about earlier in this chapter, like he said, if I'm crucified with Christ and I reckon that so, okay, all right, I feel alive right now, God. That sin, it feels good to me. It feels alive right now. But I'm dead. Okay, wait. So if I'm dead, like Jesus, okay, I have to say, okay, the the sin feels alive, but I'm dead to it. I have to reckon it so, and I can't let it rain in my body. It's a choice I make. If I run to Jesus, if I run to the cross, if I trust the power of His Holy Spirit that He's given us, I can overcome. See, we have to remember, Jesus came to the earth 100% man. He was still 100% God. He put the form of a man over His deity, and that was the whole transfiguration thing. He removed the, the humanity, and His deity showed forth. He had the humanity on Him, See, because what would it be if we sat here and went, oh, well, God defeated Satan? Well, yeah. Because we know he's the most powerful being ever. It's nothing for him to defeat Satan. He created Satan. So if God beats Satan, we go, oh, big deal. You know, that'd be like uh, Mike Tyson coming in here. You guys know Mike Tyson, the boxer, right? Coming in here and bragging about how he beat me up or how he beat Laura up. Right? You'd be like, well, no kidding. Right? That that would be God defeating Satan. But when Jesus, as 100% man, defeats Satan, you go, wow, that was something. Why would he do that? He wanted to show us, as a man, I defeated Satan. And you can do the same thing. Now, we never will. Okay? Don't, don't get... Because there's doctrine out there that teaches sinless perfection. Okay? We will never be perfect in this world. We will never be sinless in this world. But what's our goal? Remember the target? That's our goal. We'll miss, but we can't stop shooting the target. We've got to keep going after the target. That's this. That's what Paul's talking about here. Reckon yourself dead and don't let sin reign. It's up to me. The closer I draw to Him, the further I go from sin. That's the idea. That's what Paul's trying to get through to us, and that's what I want us to understand. So, I've got here, once we've gone through the initial move of repentance, do we still sin? Yes. Whether we like it or not, we do. And it is called the damnic sin, or the sin of Adam that we were born with because of our human nature. But 1 John, our way out, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin, He's faithful. When we're faithless, He remains faithful. We go to Him, we confess. We ask forgiveness. And it says, and He will forgive. Now Paul goes he, he goes on in Romans and he says, Shall we continue in sin? At actually, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Because the more we sin, the more grace gets poured out. Just God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we live in sin if we're dead to it? 
That's a whole. It's all in our thinking. Yeah, because uh, when uh, if if you're saved by the Lord and, and you're and you're abiding in His Word, then when you sin, it's not it's not good. It makes you feel uncomfortable when you do it, and it makes you feel guilty. You know what I mean? Like right. something that you used to do every day and not really worry about. You know what I mean? Is now so impending on your soul that you have to get down on, on your knees and, and ask God for forgiveness just to have you know re- resolve for that issue. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it, do- it doesn't feel good anymore. You know no. You feel, and that's that's the Holy Spirit convicting. Condemnation is Satan. Condemnation drives you away from God. You don't want to go to God when you feel condemned. But when you're convicted, like I got, like you're talking, I got to get rid of this thing, man. How do I get rid of it? Oh, First John, I confess my sin, and He's faithful and just to forgive it. So you run back to Him, and you just go, Oh God, again, for the 467th time this morning, right? Not like this week. It's just just in the three hours I've been awake this morning. But you know what? He's faithful. And He will forgive. And we have to go, you know what? It, I, I always like to think of when I used to smoke cigarettes and people that still smoke cigarettes. That was probably the hardest thing for me to stop doing was smoking cigarettes. It was crazy how hard it was. But I told myself, I am never going to stop stopping. So I would smoke and then i go, I'm done. I hate cigarettes and i throw them away and then i Go get a pack of cigarettes and I'd smoke and I'm not done with them, throw them away. I was wasting so much of my course back then, it was only 50 cents a pack. Now it's seven bucks or eight bucks or something. I'm like, I just saw they're, they're like, at five points, I say, 20 bucks for a carton of cigarettes. And I'm like, man, I used to pay 4.75 for a carton of cigarettes. I praise God. I always said I'd never pay a dollar for a pack of cigarettes and I, he took it away from me before I ever had to. So, but, but it was that idea. I'm never going to stop stopping. And it's the same with sin. You fall, get up. You fall, get up. You fall, get up. Hopefully one day you'll no longer stumble over that thing. But don't stop. Just don't go, you know what, I'm done. I can't fight this, God. And that's the problem with so many people in sin in their lives. And especially when it comes to drugs and alcohol. They fall and they just go, I'll never overcome this. Man, they told me, I'm in that 12-step program in AANACA all the anonymous 12-step programs, right? You will always be an alcoholic, a drug addict, or whatever. You will always be. I remember when I was in my alcohol class, and they had me in there, and they went around one day. We were sitting in the circle, and I had gotten saved. And that's why I was in the class, because I, I ditched the class for a year, probably. And it was a court-mandated thing. I finally went, because I'm like, okay, I'm a Christian. I want to get right. I want to do everything the way I'm supposed to pay my fines, go to my alcohol schools, all that stuff. And they had to sit in a circle. Why are you here? What do you think of the class? And so they got, they, people talked and they got to me, right? Why are you here? I said, well, I'm here because it's court mandated. Now, what do you think of the class? I said, I think your class is a waste of time. They said, well, why? I said, because you're trying to teach all of us in here how to drink. That's what they were doing. Okay, you've got to learn not to drink too much. Just have one or two. Right? That's what they were telling us in the class. I'm like, look, we all have a problem with drinking. Or had a problem with drinking at that point, I said. Um, I said, and you're trying to teach everybody how to drink. You should be teaching people in here how not to drink. There's an alcohol problem here. I said, so that's a waste of time. I said, and the other thing is, I'm not an alcoholic. And then everybody, oh yeah, one day you'll admit. And I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I was an alcoholic. I said, but I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And according to 1 Corinthians, I am no longer what I used to be. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. I am no longer what I used to be. I'm no longer an alcoholic. And they're, and they skipped me, and then the guy came up and he goes, Can I talk to you afterwards? And then he told me how much I would love being in the AA meetings, because this was a court meeting, there's a different alcohol school I had to go to. How much I would love being in the AA meetings, because all the things that I was talking about, exactly what they do in the AA meetings. But see, in AA, you're always an alcoholic. You're always a drug addict. You're always a whatever. But in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. Amen. And I'm not what I used to be. Mm-hmm. I did the one-step program. I, the 12-step program, I guess it works for people. I, I haven't seen a lot of effect and result out of that, but it does work for some, I know. I know that. I did the one-step. And it was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I came to Him, and I was doing, at the time... The most addictive 
drug there was to do, okay? And this was before um, methamphetamine, well, not before methamphetamine because that was around. Crack cocaine was not around at the time. It was just starting. But besides that, the, the most addictive thing you could do was free-based cocaine, okay? That was me. It's worse than heroin. I accepted Jesus Christ, and it was done. I never went through a withdrawal. I never went to any 12-step. I never did any of that. God changed me. I didn't even realize it until one day I realized, wait a minute, I'm not doing those things I used to do anymore. I had to stop and realize that it was that big of a difference in me, that it wasn't even, it didn't even feel natural for me to want to do those things anymore other than smoking my cigarettes. That was, like I say, that was harder than quitting cocaine. That's crazy. But that's the way it was. So, God wants to change us. And so, since He knows our nature, does He still require more? Right? Can we just repent? Isn't that all it takes? We just repent and then it's all good? We make it to heaven on that? Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be a little deeper than that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus speaking. Uh oh. Did I write that? Did I say it wrong? I said it wrong. Or I wrote it wrong. Man, I thought I checked them all. Uh oh. Now it's going to be a tough one. I'm going to have to try to find it. Did I write it? You guys probably got the same one. What? Whitney? No, 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 no. That's the wrong one, too. Okay. I'll have to skip that one. I'll just tell you what I said. No, because I do have 15.19. Okay, so God wants more from us. Um, the requirement that God has for us is... Uh, someone wants to look it up. You can Maybe Luke could find it. He's got a tablet there. Uh, be perfect for I am perfect. I don't know why I have 38. Maybe it's 18. Let me see. It's in the Old Testament. It's also quoted in Hebrews. Uh, Jesus says it in Matthew. Anyways, we're called to be perfect. Is it? Did I do? Maybe it's Hebrews. Let me look real quick. I might have wrote the wrong scripture. See? That's what you get for letting somebody like me up here. Matthew. You're right, 548. 48, okay, not 38. I had it written. It's in Hebrews. Well. There you go. Yeah, it is in Hebrews, I know. Okay, Matthew 548. Jesus speaking, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What? Really? We have to be perfect? That's God's requirement. But that's not all. Because in 1 Peter 1.15... He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What in the world is God saying? We're supposed to be perfect and holy? Both? In order to get to heaven, you have to be, right? No. Jesus did that for us. Jesus did. Right. But that's, again, that's our goal. Remember we were talking about shooting the arrow? Target? The target? Perfection and holiness. That's the target. You going to get there? No. But that's the target. Remember, we talked about it. That's why Jesus came as a human. To show us it can be done as a human being. We won't do it. He was able to do it because he didn't have the Adamic sin. He didn't have the sin of Adam. We have that. So we will always be sinners. We will always miss a mark. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven. And we will not be holy in the way God is holy on this side of heaven. But that's our goal. And if we have that goal, then when we sin... We're like, wait, I messed up, God. I missed the mark. Forgive me. i got to shoot again. I'm going to keep trying to hit that mark. I'm going to keep trying for that target. Because Jesus said, you got to be perfect like your Father. It's a goal that He set for us. But we can't get frustrated and say, well, I'll never make it. No, you won't. You will never make it. Not this side of heaven. But that has to be what we shoot for. See, otherwise it's, we have, and this is what the church is into today, we call it easy believism. I just go forward, I say a prayer with the guy up front, and I'm good. And I go out and do whatever I want, because I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be holy. So I just kind of, you know, I'll show up at church every now and then, listen to the guy flap his gums for a while, and I'm good. Maybe even once in a while, I'll read the Bible myself, on my own. Then you're really, really getting spiritual. 
But that's the goal. That's the target. You won't hit it. But you try. Some days, you'll be closer than others. Some days, you'll feel like, man, I nailed it on that one. And as soon as you do, man, the next one, you're not even going to hit the board. You're going to be like shooting up, get some sparrow in the tree or something. Because that's when the pride sets in, right? Oh, I nailed it on that one, God. I passed that test just in time to fall flat on your face on the next one. Oh, believe me. It happens so much. It's crazy. But that's what God requires of us. Perfection and holiness. So can any human being meet this criteria? Ain't going to happen. That's where the Matthew 15, 19 comes in. Right? Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Okay, Jesus is talking about something else. But that's what's in the heart. How in the world? If that's in my heart, I'm not going to be perfect. That's in my heart. And it is. Tanner was talking about it last night. When you go through a trial, as she was talking last night, the trials. When you go through a trial, and whatever your response is to that trial, the trial did not create the response. The trial brought out of your heart what was already there. And God uses it to show you. You know, you thought you were doing good? Look at this. And you go, oh man, that was in me? Yeah, it was. You want to work on that? You're like, yeah, we better get that out of there. And then you finally get it. All right. That's gone. And then he goes, another trial. And you go, where did that come from? Oh, that was in there too. We can't do it all at one time. We're going to have to work through this. There's a lot of stuff in there. Right? Jesus said, a lot of stuff in the heart. And we're going to have to go one at a time and work on these things. I've been walking with the Lord 33, going on 34 years. There's still a lot of junk in there. He's still working on a lot of stuff. But he's patient with me. Praise him for that. He's patient. And so I just go, okay, what's the next one, God? I'm still working on the stuff he's trying to do 33 years ago. So it's it's a long process. But we can see this is the Levitical law. When we see the Levitical law that's given, you look at all that and what it was about, right? The Levitical law is when you engaged in disobedience, there had to be bloodshed. You had to sacrifice something, a bird, a lamb, a ram, whatever it was. You had to sacrifice that. There had to be bloodshed. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a hunter. Um, I know Luke has done some of this stuff, and I know his kids have too. Cutting chickens and doing all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Laura loves doing that stuff. So if you ever need a chicken clean, she's the one. No. <laughs> um, the grossness of that. I was thinking, just even when you're driving the mountain, right, and all of a sudden you see a squirrel in the road, and he's like, Things coming out the mouth and their stuff. You don't like, oh, that's cool. And you're looking at it as you're driving by, right? You turn your head. You don't even want, oh, man, I can't even believe I saw what I saw. You, it's gross. And when you slattered, slattered, slaughtered a lamb or whatever it was, the blood, the guts, if you've ever been around like a deer when it's been clean, the smell, just the spile in the stomach, it's, it's pretty gross smelling. It's gross. You think, well, it's gross, man. Blood everywhere. That's gross. Why would God want that? And why do I have to do that? Every time I sin, it's supposed to be gross. God wants it to be gross. The slaughter of the animal is gross. So it's like, that is gross. I don't want to do this again. Well, how do I do that? Well, I don't transgress. If I don't transgress or sin... They don't have to slaughter as much. So the slaughter of the animals in the Levitical law was to cause us to sin less. Because it was supposed to be a disgusting thing. When Jesus died on the cross, if we think about what he really went through hanging on that cross, if you ever saw the passion of the Christ, and the little bit of what Jesus' suffering was like in that movie, the little bit, you just, I mean, you cry. You're like, God, you did that for me? How could I daily want to put you up on that cross and do that to you every day? So we want to sin less and less. And that's what the Levitical law in Galatians, right? Chapter 3. I know I'm getting near the end somewhere. Clock doesn't work, Richard. Sorry, it's only 8 o'clock. i got a half hour. Galatians 3, 19 through 24, right? 
What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law, had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the purpose for the law was to point us to something greater. One minute? Oh, I said it's 8.21. I got, I got nine minutes. Okay. So there was the law was pointing us to something greater. It was Jesus Christ. That was the greater thing. The law, like I said, it was supposed to be disgusting, gross, all the blood, all that stuff. I don't want to do this, God. So we sin less. And then it was to point, and at all points, when you look at it, I mean, the, the lamb, without blemish, without spot. Right? He was to die for the sins of the people. The land didn't do anything wrong. But he had to die. What's the whole purpose in this? And it was all, all the Old Testament is looking forward to the cross. We are on the other side. We look back on the cross. Old Testament saints, they get saved the same way we did. The cross. They sat in Abraham's bosom. Remember Jesus for three days, three nights, went into the heart of the earth. He went down to Abraham's bosom is what we believe. He went down there. We don't know what he said, but my guess, something like, hey guys, guess what? I'm the one you were waiting for. Let's go. Because it says in Ephesians, he led captivity captive. He took the captives in the Abraham's bosom and he led them to heaven. Come on guys, it's time to go. I died now because Jesus had to be the first one to ascend. Right? So that's, that's what that was all about. So John 3.16, which isn't on yours, it's in mine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see the law was leading us to Jesus so that God could say, hey, my son, I loved him, I love you, and he is going to die so that you can have a way into heaven. He is the lamb. Back to the Levitical thing with the, the, the killing of the sheep, the goats, the whatever it was. When it says it was a covering for their sin, the word in the Hebrew is kofar. Actually, when, it's, when it talks about the forgiveness, it's a covering. All they did was covered our sin. Jesus, when he died, if you read in the New Testament, he doesn't cover our sin, he removes. Right? He said that I take your sins and I cast them as far as the east is to the west and in the deepest parts of the ocean and I remember them no more. The Old Testament was just covered over. It's still there. It's just covered over. Jesus, he removed them. They're gone. So, if I was to say, God, you know, back in 1984... You know, six months after I got saved, a year after I got saved, how long I've been saved there at that time. That time that I did this one thing, I know I asked you forgiveness in '84, but I just want to make sure that we're clear on this and the forgiveness is there. God's words to me would be, "What are you talking about?" Right? I mean, it's He doesn't forget. I mean, it's just a metaphor. But He says, "I don't remember those things. You don't need to keep coming to me." daily for the things that you've already done, that you've asked forgiveness, because what does it say in verse 1? We read it. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He already forgave that. So don't come coming back to me. And when you mess up, because, I mean, we, we want to do that, but naturally that's because we think if we say it enough times, God will finally probably really forgive us. He says, no, you asked, I, I forget. It's done. It's over. It's crazy to think of this, but this is what God wants to do. Acts 10.43, we have remission. I've got to go quickly through. Mark 15.38, the temple veil being torn when Jesus was on the cross, and it says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. Okay? If man was to tear it, we'd go from bottom to top. That veil was about 18 inches thick. You cannot just tear it with your hands. It was torn from top to bottom to show that God is the one that tore that veil and opened the way and allowed mankind into His presence. Up to that point, only the priest, once a year on Yom Kippur, could go into the Holy of Holies and approach God 
for the remission of sin for the people. He represented the people, and then he comes out and represents God. At that time, only the high priest. He's the only one that got to go in there. After Jesus died, the veil was torn. And now Jesus stands in his place, in the veil's place. You want to get into the Holy of Holies? You go through Jesus. That's the only way in. Romans 5.1. We're just about done here because Richard's going to start throwing things at me if I don't hurry up. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Faith. Okay? It's, it's through faith. We're justified by faith. You can see that also in Romans 3.24, Titus 3.70. So, in conclusion, I like to say this many times. This is my favorite thing. is that Jesus did not come to point the way. He came to be the way. He's not pointing, hey, go, here, here's how you get there. He said, no, I know how you get there. No man comes unto the Father but by me, he said. Now, real quick, just to end this off. Going back to those two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. There was a garden thousands of years later. There was a cross. They called it a tree in the scripture. It's the tree of life. We had the same choice in that garden. You could choose the knowledge of good and evil, or you could choose the tree of life. This tree of life, there's not an angel keeping you from it. He wants you to go to that tree. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil. He wants you to know eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. All of this stuff, from Genesis to Revelation, it's one thing. It's about a father who loved us so much that he gave his son so that we could have eternal life and spend eternity with him. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can make it. And that's what he wants to show us. Father, thank you for your word, the way you speak to us. I pray that we would all be able to understand how we can overcome sin, that we can reckon ourselves dead to sin, that we could keep ourselves from sin. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can do that. Help us to remember when we do fall, we just need to come to you and ask forgiveness, and you will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I thank you for the opportunity that I have to share the things that you've shared with me. And I pray that uh, anything that was not of you would be forgotten and that we would all grow deeper in our knowledge and our love for you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray.